Hey guys, it's Dawn. If you would like to hear the How My Parents Raised Me podcast ad-free, and if you would like access to subscriber-only episodes, join me in the What's the Truth community. You can join via the Apple Podcast app. There's a link right there in the app. Or go to whatsthetruth.supercast.com. Links are in the show notes. Don't miss out on all the extra content I'm sharing. I can't wait to see you over there. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. So, I mean, I look back within the first few months, I could tell, recognize there was major issues, like so major, like no one in their right mind should have stayed, but here I am staying. And then here I am trying to, you know, have a child and, you know, here I'm trying to make it work all these years, you know, only for it to not work in the end and for me to eventually have no choice, but to follow what's in my gut. Because at that point, it's like, I'm, I'm living, but I'm dying at the same time. Welcome to How My Parents Raised Me, I'm Dawn Chitty. When we are born, we arrive here as pure and perfect souls and the direction our life takes from that moment is deeply connected to what our parents bring to our lives. And what our parents bring to our lives is deeply connected to what their parents brought to their lives and that's the cycle of families. I have always craved connection with real and raw stories to understand what makes you, you, what makes you the absolutely unique human that you are. Stories are medicine for the soul. They can connect us and they can change the world. And so in this podcast, I'm listening to beautiful souls sharing their story, what happened to them, how they got through and how they have healed and thrived despite everything to arrive right here in this moment. Content warning, if you are triggered by the themes of this podcast, please seek a helpline in your city.
Hey beautiful souls, welcome back to the podcast. I'm so excited to be back and I have some really amazing stories coming up in the next few weeks so please hit the subscribe button to get your notification. Did you take a break? Have you had some downtime in the past couple of weeks? I've enjoyed some really great days relaxing and just taking some time to stop and appreciate what I have in my life. Just really understanding that what I have is what I need. And what I do have is love, a good home, food, water, friends, family. And above all else, I have the freedom to be me. And that is super relevant to our podcast this week because this week I am speaking with Hannah. Hannah's parents came from the Middle East and Hannah grew up in the US. How would you feel if at 12 years old your parents were talking to you about getting married to a complete stranger within the next few years? How would you feel if at 15 you began meeting prospective husbands who were 30 years old? How would you feel if by 19 there was so much pressure to be married you just had to choose somebody because you felt that there was no way out? Hannah had no voice, what she thought, wanted or needed were not acknowledged and there is this feeling when you speak with Hannah of this exquisite soul trapped in a box for most of her life. It's a feeling that says, I can't breathe. There is so much resilience and evidence of the strength of the human spirit in this podcast, so please Join me now for Hannah's story. Tell me a little bit about your family. Where did you grow up and where your parents came from? So my family is from the Middle East. They came from Syria and they came to the United States, I think in like in the late 70s. So my siblings and I were all born in America and um, we grew up with our parents in the house. My mom was primarily, you know, in the house, my dad was a businessman, so we would see him quite often. And, you know, we went to school here and trying to, you know, figure out how to balance between the culture that my parents came from and then being raised here and not having that like relatable um, connection with them. How difficult was that? Were there many other kids like you where you went to school? Uh, No, not really. When we were growing up, um, I don't, remember having any friends that were like their parents were immigrants or even from the Middle East at all. So we felt very, I speak for myself. I mean, I felt very lonely growing up or very different and, you know, it was a primarily uh, white area. So there wasn't much diversity. So it was was pretty difficult. Yeah. And why did your parents come to the US? Because it's a big thing, isn't it? To come from one whole culture that's so different to come to a completely different world really for sure i i think well my i know my my mom always tells us that she always dreamt of leaving because she didn't feel like you know i guess when your mind is full of you know um, ideas and you want an opportunity in the middle east there's not much particularly where they were living there wasn't much opportunity there Uh, My mom is, you know, she was very intelligent and she wanted to like 
you know, do something with her life. And there wasn't much opportunity, not just because she's a woman, just the way the structure was there with school. And my dad always wanted to also travel. And so it was primarily an opportunity thing. So when they came here, they both were able to go to college, choose the, you know, choose the major of their choice. When there, it's kind of selected for you. So I think their primary reason was the education and the opportunity of growth. Oh, it's interesting that they select your course for you when yeah yeah when you graduate high school based on your grades you're only allowed certain majors based on your grades it's really odd so tell me a bit more about your relationship with your mum that you remember when you were like a small child so my mom comes from an interesting family but to make a long story short she's um she was more of the distant person like not someone that you know would necessarily go to with any definitely not with any emotional issues um to her it's more like you know if you're not dying you're okay (laughs) kind of thing so and she was very you know even though she was stay-at-home mom for most of my childhood um i mean she she graduated but then stayed at home until we were much older she was still not very much like there so it's interesting because when i talk to my siblings about it we're like you know, as a, I mean, my sister and I both have had stay-at-home phases, but we, when we talk to each other, we're like, you know, even though she was home, where was she? Like, we don't, but she was there, but she wasn't there. So it's really odd. But I think, you know, the interesting part, and I'll get into more detail about like the childhood, but the interesting part is how much they make up for it now. But it's like, you know, I don't know if it really makes up for it completely because, you know, there wasn't a connection and having a daughter now like really shows me how important that was for me and where that voids are as an adult for myself. So you just think she was very busy, even though she was at home or she just wasn't emotionally connected? Yeah, was both. I think she, because, you know, she, she kept herself busy with them. She, you know, always cleaning and, and cooking and doing those traditional things, you know, attending to my dad and stuff. But she was also just not, she's just not a very emotional person. Um, so she wasn't, um, like we don't have memories. I don't have memories of her like tucking me in bed or reading me a story or, or doing anything like that, you know. And is that cultural thing, do you think that was what her mother was like as well? Yeah, definitely. Her mother definitely is like that. So I think that's just what was modeled to her and what she was doing. But I think also that's a personality thing. It's a combination of a few things. Yeah. And what about your dad? What, what was he like when you're a little girl? I'm in, in his role in the family? So I, I always feel like my dad is like two people in one. So he's like the, he was the softer, more emotional person, you know, very protective and, and more involved. But he also had this side of like very controlling and very traditional um, and it's his way only person and, and anger and that. So he was a really weird mixture of both but he was definitely the mo- the bigger part of our, our life growing up in what way do you mean a bigger part of your life like more involved like if let's say we were i was in school and i got sick in school he would be the one that was picking me up um, from school if um you know when our report cards came home he was the one reading on the report card um if we had a homework question he was the one helping it's it's interesting because again like now as a mom i'm I'm the 90% more involved. So I find it odd that, you know, where my mom was all this time, but that's, that's how he was more involved that way. And so did you have brothers and sisters? Yeah, I have uh, an older sister and a younger brother. What was the family like? Are there celebrations? Are there, um... they were, my parents are very, you know, at the time they were 
very they're very religious and very hold like they really hold on to the traditions so even if something is you know permissible from a religious standpoint it but it wasn't from a cultural standpoint we kind of had to deal with both restrictions at all times so it's it's a it's a a weird you know thing because sometimes some, some things are okay from a religious standpoint but not from a from where they come from and we kind of had to handle both so birthdays for example weren't celebrated um you know christmas wasn't celebrated um there's and then from a cultural standpoint there's a huge like gender differences so my brother was allowed to do a lot of things we weren't allowed to do those same things and yet from a religious standpoint there is that that discrepancy doesn't exist so we kind of had to deal with it from from both aspects that sounds confusing or is it just is it just normal or at what point in your life do you sort of look at it and go, why does this happen? Why does my brother get to do yeah. this? Is that something you can remember being aware of quite young? For sure. I, I definitely was aware of it quite young, but probably never verbalized it until, you know, my teenage years when it was really affecting my life or when I, you know, couldn't take how much it was affecting my life anymore. But it did, you know, verbalizing it didn't really necessarily get me anywhere besides into more trouble because it's like, you know, that's, that's how it is. And that's how we are. And that's how, you know, our family is, and this is what's taboo and this is what's not. So, you know, we can't really negotiate or do anything with the, with the communication. Yeah. But like you said, it was, it was definitely really confusing. You really would have felt like you didn't have a voice in anything. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. But that's the thing that like, I think was the most damaging of everything. Um, I think that, you know, kids are really resilient and we can deal with maybe like, this is what my, the family traditions are and the beliefs are, but when it starts, you know, impeding on your ability to express yourself or have an opinion or to feel like you don't matter and what you want doesn't matter. That's when I think it really becomes damaging to the adult that you're going to turn into. So that's the part that I think has really affected my life as an adult. How do you think you reacted to that? Because I know some people would just be quiet. Some people are going to be angry. How did you react? Right. Yeah. And then the reaction depends, like you were saying, on like your natural temperament. But for me, um, I'm more like an introverted person. So you know, in the beginning, there's, there's resistance. But then when you when I realized that there was no point in this resistance, besides more negativity, I kind of just have to force myself to accept it. So for years, many years, I'm talking about like 25 years when um, it was just accepted. And, you know, I convinced myself that this is just how it has to be, to the point where even, you know, so between that and between my family, being so traditional and like enforcing marriage at such an early age, those were, I think, the two things that are the most, you know, that I think are really important to, to mention because I know that it wasn't, it's not just me and I, I probably still happens now, even though people from the Middle East are more progressive. But when you have a daughter and you're indirectly telling her that her voice and opinion doesn't matter and um, encourage early marriage without the wisdom and the maturity to select a, the correct partner. And I got into this marriage at age 19 with the belief that 
yes, I don't matter. My opinion doesn't matter. And my husband's going to be just like my father in the sense that he controls everything and, and including myself, my thoughts and my opinions and all that stuff. But then when deep down, you know that that's wrong and that's not how you want to live. You're just forcing yourself to be that way. Something is going to give in the end. And for 15 years in that relationship, all I could think about was how the flaws in the childhood upbringing created that future. Does that make sense? Yes. Yes. My goodness. So at what age were you aware that you were going to have to get married to a person that was chosen for you? Yeah. Um, so because I have an older sister, uh, she's exactly three years older than me. She actually got married when she was 16. So when I was 19, I was already kind of feeling too old. Um, oh and that was because, yeah, on a daily basis, um, it was, you know, everything that I did, it's like, you know, you need to learn how to clean better because your husband's not going to be okay with this. You're going to, and they don't, we don't even know who he is yet. <laughs> um, you need to, you know, not talk back because no husband's going to tolerate that. You need to, you know, this and that. And it was constant. So, I mean, I think those comments probably started when I was 12. Um, this is like, I haven't even, you know, reached puberty yet. And we're, we're already talking about um, husbands. And then probably at age 15 um, was when, you know, again, traditionally, like families uh, that have a son who wants to get married, start like calling our house and say, oh, we you know you have, you know, a, a daughter who's potentially ready for marriage. And, and that probably started at age like 16. And then, and then at age 17, we we're already you know, pre I was pre being presented to men that would come over and, you know, want to get married um, and to meet me. And, it, and you know, I, I tried to resist. There was always a part of me that was resisting. And, and to my family, that was just like, I'm a stubborn, you know, bad girl. But um, eventually, you know, there's only so much resistance you can give. Um, when, um, you know, I finally met someone who at the time I felt like maybe is the the best option because he had lived in America the longest of all the other potential suitors. And at that point, my parents were so done with me being single that they're like, you have to pick someone like we're, we're really over this. So I said, fine, this one, and then we'll just move on with our life. <laughs> so, wow. um, yeah. My goodness. So when, so when you're 12, 13, 14 and your parents are saying, okay, today you're going to meet this person. How are you feeling in your body? Like when you wake up that morning, is it scared? So I can't even like, that's such a good question because I reflect on that still. So I was a senior in high school, um, you know, like going to school in a, leaving the house in an outfit, wearing a different outfit in school to be cool, um, you know, trying to fit in with my peers. Yet that same weekend I would dress up, you know, like a you know 25 year old when i'm 17 and and maybe even like 15 mentally um and wearing the skirt suit or something like you know so dressy and so not me and meeting you know a 30 year old you know man that i've you know never seen my whole life and having to suddenly be very traditional so like the same within the same week i'm a typical american girl that just wants to fit in with her friends and and you know talking about these like kid stuff. And then on the weekend, I'm presented to, presented to a man who wants a wife. It's, it's so odd. Oh my gosh. I've got so many questions about this. I'm just like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Because when I, I remember being 15 and you're just like, 
a slightly older child. You're not, there's, yeah. no, there's no maturity there for a lot of 15-year-olds. But I didn't realise when you're meeting these people that you're saying some of them are 30 years old. Is yeah, that, they're, is that normal? Some of them are a lot older. Yeah, it's normal. The range between like 8 to 15 years older is very normal. Um, and and I think even like back to the whole 15, like maturity level thing, like um, because I was, again, so sheltered and living in this bubble of not allowed to have friends, not allowed to, you know, go to the mall, not allowed to all these things, that I was probably mentally even way younger than my age. So, so I'm, like I was saying, I really think when I was 16, mentally I was 12, because I have no experience with life. All I know is homework and my parents. So, and then being, again, like trying to have a, a, a conversation with a, you know, 30-year-old, 28, 29, 30-year-old man who's from a completely different country, mind you, uh, in a completely different language, was just so odd. Oh like, I can't. It's confusing is an understatement. I can't yes. even find the right word for it. <laughs> Absolutely. My goodness. So you're saying some of the people, it sounds as if they were living, when you're saying it's in a different mm -hmm. language, yeah. were they living in the US mainly or were some yeah. of them still? They're both. Uh, some, you know, they had just moved to the United States and are going to college and maybe are here on a visa. And because I'm a citizen, that was another component that most of them, wanted to marry a, a girl with a with citizenship to help ease their like paperwork situation and that was that was a a reason for me to when i was agreed to to marry the man that i married at the time that he was already a citizen so i knew at least he's not marrying me for that reason so you know so it just depends but they're all from the same country that my parents were from and um, they all, and I did speak that language because they made us, you know, learn it as kids, which is totally fine. I, I appreciate that. But, you know, just the barrier between me and these men was just so big that it took a while to. Because find. it's, it's like, you've got so many barriers there. You've got the age barrier and you've got the, you know, the cultural barriers and the language barriers and, and just being, I mean, I can't even imagine being, 15, 16, and even trying to have a conversation with a 30-year-old guy. Right. I mean, so you go into, you, you're obviously meeting with your families. Yeah. Is that what's yeah, happening? Always there. Yeah. yeah. And are you actually speaking at this meeting or are you just Barely. Um, and that's another thing that I like, um, you know, wonder and I just have all these moments like how, you know, again, having a 10-year-old daughter, you know, I just like, how could my parents have, you know, expected these things. And let's just say like, okay, you believe in this tradition and you want your daughter to, to do these things. At least prepare her. I mean, I didn't know how to have a conversation. I, I could barely have a conversation with friends in school because I was a, a total introvert and super shy, uh, very insecure, let alone these, these, you know, people who also were like very highly educated, very sophisticated. So just no compatibility whatsoever for me at that time what kind of conversation do you have with this person like what kind of questions should i ask them um it's like when you're going on a speed dating uh you know the like what i see on tv you know they give you like a set of questions to ask like i didn't even have that it's like at least give me some kind of blueprint to say okay you know should i ask these questions but for the most part i was just quiet and nodding maybe smiling you know that's basically it wow so how much time do you get to know somebody before you're meant to marry them um not much so my ex now ex-husband we met on a friday 
um, he, you know, they stayed in town because they were from this state and I was in a different state. Um, they stayed in town till Sunday. And then when they left Sunday, they had, the families had already made a promise that we were going to be for each other. And then three weeks later, we were married. Oh my gosh, three weeks later. So I saw him for three days. And then those three weeks was like long distance over the phone. And then they came back and did the, the marriage. And is there at any point, any time when you're alone, just the two of you in those three weeks? No, because I only saw him the three days and my, the families were there. Um, but then after they do the, the marriage, I still stayed with my parents for a few months after to finish that year of college and then moved with him and the in-laws, which is a whole other story. <laughs> but um, we were only allowed to be alone after the marriage. Okay. So when he came and visited while those months I was with my, still living with my parents, we were, we were allowed to be alone. Okay. And what was it like being alone with this person the first time at 19 years of age? Yeah. So I was 19, he was 28. Um, so um, it was one of the younger ones. <laughs> wow. uh, it was, I mean, it's like, again, a combination of like fear and excitement because I was finally allowed to like, you know, have a boyfriend, even though he was technically my husband. So like, I have to convince myself that like, though, like to calm my, my fears that like, oh, I finally, you know, can have a boyfriend, but he's actually a husband. So I have to like obey him and what he wants and says, but I'm trying to also like have fun and be a 19 year old. So it's, it's just such a, you know, Again, I wish I could find the word for it, but it, it almost is so conflicting that like, I feel like this could cause like a mental illness of how conflicting the whole, um, the whole dynamic was from the beginning of living here, trying to conform to here and then having parents from somewhere else to all these things that you're taught in between to this dynamic of this uh, uh, relationship and so on. So um, just, just really odd, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting that you thought it was so odd, even though this is something that you knew was always going to happen. Yeah. You know, like if a child just bought into this, they would think it was odd, but you, mm -hmm. you know, you knew everything that was going to happen and still it was so uncomfortable and yeah. so alien to you. Right. Did you feel like you could speak to him? What was, what was it like your relationship early on? Did you get along? Did you have anything in common? Um, we definitely didn't have anything in common and we still don't have anything in common um, besides our children. But, you know, he was, you know, he had lived here since um, he was 16. So he like he spoke English well. He um, I think that was that was that helped. Um, so we like didn't have any communication barriers from a language perspective, but but definitely from like a compatibility, like, you know, intellectual perspective uh, there was it was not much of me really talking it was it was a lot of him and his family talking and me just you know agreeing and moving on and were you able to get along with his family um I mean we got along because I don't say anything but um you know I when I think back I think you know I could have you know I it's, it's easy to get along with someone when you're just like a chair in the room <laughs> you're not really doing anything but being there and being useful to, to be honest but um but you know to say to say if we really got along no we definitely ne never got along yeah how trapped did you feel at that point yeah 
Extremely. Uh, I think that's really what pushed me to decide to leave finally with how scary and, and lonely that was. Um, that the that feeling of trapped. I mean, I, I look back at those 15 years and and really feel like it was a prison sentence. You know, I, I, I joke with my friends and say, well, my parents sent me to prison when really I say when I got married, that's really <laughs> what I mean when I say that. But, you know, trapped is definitely the right word. Um, there's just, there was just no no way I could be me. Uh, and, and the reason why, like you were just saying earlier, um, you know, it felt alien to me, even though um, I was born into it, was the fact that I was raised in the United States in a normal public school. I think that if possibly, and I don't know, but my assumption is that if I was raised in the Middle East, that it would have been less alien to me. But because of that, that conf the, you know, the confliction between those two styles, and I just felt like, you know, I preferred the more Western mentality um, over that, particularly in the aspect of marriage and, you know, falling in love and stuff like that. Um, it just never resonated. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. And so when you, you get married and then you're going back to do your study at school, are you telling your friends this is what you've done? You've, you've got married? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I did. And um, in college, uh, you know, that's, you know, I invited some of my friends to my wedding. I think they, uh, because I was 19 or because I was, we were already in college. It, I don't remember anyone having like a, oh my God effects, you know, when I told them, but um, definitely when I was in high school still, and I was meeting these people, you know, here and there on the weekends, it was more of a shocking effect. So you were able to talk to people about what you were doing? Yeah, to a certain extent. Yeah, I would, I would share. Yeah. You're saying your sister also had an arranged marriage. Yeah. yeah. So how did, how was the experience for her? Was that a positive or? Um, for her, it was, it was positive. Um, you know, definitely more, you know, it, well, at least it worked out in, the, in her sense. She's been married now for 20 years or so, a little more maybe. And um, she's, um, she's doing okay. I mean, he's, he's a, he's a good guy. You know, what we joke about and say is that, we you know, she, she got married the same thing, maybe within like 10 days of knowing this person. And we joke and say like, you know, they could be like psychos for all my, our parents know. And they're just like giving their daughters out, like we're for free. You know, it's like, it's so funny, but, but we just, it's just literally, it's a luck of the draw. And there's a saying 
uh, in Arabic, that's like marriage is like a watermelon. You won't know until you open it and try it. Well, it's like, um, that's because you make it that way. You know, you're supposed to try it first <laughs> and then we're not try marriage, but try the person or try the relationship or get to know them. So it's not like shocking. And then you're stuck with this, you know, rotten watermelon for the rest of your life. <laughs> yes. But so were your parents married through arranged marriage? Well, actually, that's a good question. No, they weren't. They were actually neighbors for many years and they they liked each other. So <laughs> but um my dad is 10 years older than my mom, so the age, you know, difference was there, but they definitely, you know, liked each other for a while before they they decided to get married, yeah. And how different was it for your brother? What was his experience? So my brother has a, has a whole story, but to make a long story short, um, he, he had it, he had it worse off in some things. uh, And this is probably not, not the place for it, but from the aspect that I'm, you know, comparing it to my experience, he definitely had more freedoms. Um, You know, when he had girlfriends, it wasn't, you know, like something he would go home and be like, well, my parents are going to kill me, like the way I would have thought. But, and it was like, okay, that he had, you know, girls call him or that, you know, they knew he had friends that were girls. He would definitely go out with his friends and didn't have any restrictions. Um, He was allowed to drive at a younger age than I was. And he definitely is going to be picking his own spouse. (laughs) That's for sure. Like my parents don't have, you know, they maybe try to have like an influence, but they definitely aren't coming from the perspective of we're going to pick for you. So, and he's the youngest, so I know a lot of parents, you know, where they start off with being really strict and then get easier and easier with the younger kids, but it also just so happens that their youngest is a boy. So um, they're definitely way more lenient in so many ways. So you get married to this guy and you have this excitement slash, you know, confusion. And how does that play out over time throughout 15 years of marriage. Um, So, I mean, definitely within the first month that I moved with him and his family at the time, the first few months, we were all in the same house. You know, uh, there was already like major red flags and signs that this is not going to work out. But, uh, you know, from a community standpoint and a cultural standpoint and from my parents and then my insecurities and fears, all were saying like, you know, you can't divorce a month after you get married, two months after you get married. What are people going to say? What are they going to think? They're going to think something's wrong with you. It's going to be your fault. You're never going to get married again. So you just kind of suck it up. And, and then also be being told, well, at least, and then they fill in the blank with, he doesn't do this and that and the other. And somehow that's supposed to make what he is doing. Okay. You know, yeah, they control you, but at least, you know, they're, you know, something else. And it's just, again, you know, your heart is telling you one thing and screaming something else. And then you're being told something completely opposite and being forced to be quiet and being forced to be okay with it when no cell in your body is okay with it. Um, But just, you know, whoever, you know, just the tolerance and whatever that can handle, you know, goes, you know, that's what extends the years until there's just no more tolerance for it. Um, But it's a shame because, Again, the way we are raised, whether it's we're, if we're raised in an environment where you're told to be quiet and that brings a lot of insecurities about who you are, it's no surprise that that person stays in a bad relationship for many years. That's just what happens. Um, it's, it's almost, you know, I don't, I don't, again, as in my profession as a therapist, I don't know if I've ever seen someone who was raised in that kind of environment that 
automatically is able to recognize red flags and get themselves out of a negative relationship or an abusive relationship. Um, so they come hand in hand. They're just, that's just what's going to happen to that person. And that's exactly what happened uh, in my situation. So, I mean, I look back within the first few months, I could tell, recognize there was major issues, like so major, like no one in their right mind should have stayed. But here I am staying and then here I am trying to, you know, have a child and, you know, here I'm trying to make it work all these years, you know, only for it to not work in the end and for me to eventually have no choice but to follow what's in my gut. Because at that point, it's like I'm, I'm living, but I'm dying at the same time. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yes. And you, you just get to a point where you just can't do it anymore. Yeah. 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 And were there any times throughout that marriage where you did really try and push back and, and have an opinion or do anything or were you just so compliant? Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, because as my parents always called me, you know, stubborn. And there's always a part of me that wants to say something, but there's also like a huge part of me that's um, likes to keep the peace. So when I would try to voice from the beginning, the reaction was so bad that, um, and I think that he and his family would make the reaction so bad that it would teach me to not say anything in the future. And that happened a few times until it did. It did work. It wasn't like I would think to myself, I want to say something, but I know exactly what's going to happen when I do. It's going to be so uncomfortable for me um, and I'm going to be punished. And I'm not talking about physical punishment. I'm, I'm, it's, it's all psychological, but it's pretty bad. Like psychological punishments can be just as bad, um, but it's going to be so bad for me psychologically afterwards that it's just not worth it. And I remember... Uh, regularly, I'm talking about like every few days, a situation like that would happen. I would go to the bathroom. I would look at myself in the mirror. I would make sure those tears aren't obvious. I would fix my face and walk back out as if nothing is bothering me because what's going to happen if I do express myself is so much worse than what even actually happened. Oh, wow. That's just so heartbreaking. And it's just like this grinding hell, isn't it, that you're living in? It's just relentless. Oh my gosh. Um, did you have anybody that you could actually talk to about how you were feeling in your life? Yeah, I think, I mean, I always, I always talk to ironically my parents about it. (laughs) Um, even though like in a way it just mimicked my childhood, you know, I would want something, I'd voice my opinion, the, the reaction would be worse. I would sit in my room, cry, you know, get myself to get over it and then move on with my life. In, in a, it's exactly the same, just in a different dynamic and a different relationship. Um, but I would still tell them. And some days they would say, you know, this is normal. You got to just, you know, be okay with it. And some days they would say, this is not okay. And they try to talk to him. Um, but um, I don't know if it ever really helped. In fact, you know, I spent all these years um, thinking that my family was always on his side. And, and then when I finally left and had this like you know honest conversation with them that they said that that's not what it was but that's how I felt the entire time so something was indirectly you know communicated in a way that gave me that message or that feeling you know so you know I I did I did talk to them for sure a lot but I don't think it ever really helped yeah and I guess you had always had the idea that their expectation was that you would stay in a marriage so 
yeah. I guess it was just that unspoken rule, wasn't it, from yeah. when you're yeah. when you're a kid. So you managed to actually do this for 15 years, which is yeah. a long time. You have two children throughout mm -hmm. that time. Yeah. And what what's the breaking point? What happens in the end? Really, the breaking point was a little over a year ago. So it wasn't that long ago. And um, um, it you know things do when when you stop saying anything at all, things do get worse. So um, I think it gives the aggressor or like an abuser the feeling that I can just now you know be worse and she'll still be okay with it. Um, so it got worse to the point where, um, and, and again, my children are, you know, they're not really young, but they're not, you know, teenagers yet. So they're, but, so they understand what's happening and it's like scary because you don't want them to make these awful meanings and create these core beliefs. And they, you know, again, become, um, an adult, like I became one that, um, you know, you know, lead a life that you're not, uh, that that's not what you want. So I, that was a big fear factor for me that I didn't want them to make these, um, uh, you know, conclusions and, and beliefs about life or core beliefs about themselves. So when they're watching their father tell me that, you know, you are, for example, you are nothing more than trash, you know, it just, it's just not, I, I felt like at that point that there's nothing that, um, could stop me from leaving at this point. I cannot, I just simply cannot have my daughter think that she will be spoken to like that. And I don't want my son to think that he's allowed to speak to someone like that. Yeah. And, and my son at some point was starting to say things like, um, I won't um, give my wife any money or like just random little comments that were just, you know, just just too scary for me like if i might not do i might not protect myself but when it comes to my children there's nothing that will stop me from protecting them no matter how bad it's going to be for me so that was the really the breaking point wow so how hard was it to leave that marriage physically how do, how do you actually do that yeah it was it was really difficult because i tried to um, talk to him but you know he didn't want he didn't want to um you know, divorce because, um, in his exact words, this is very inconvenient. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, yeah. But, um, <laughs> yeah, so, um, so I had to actually leave my house. Um, he wouldn't, you know, leave the house or, or anything. And, and when I left the house, he had said, um, you know, if you try to, you know, take, you know, which is, would, would have been my right after 15 years, but you know how in the United States it's 50, 50. And he said, if you try to take your 50%, then I will make your life a living hell. So I signed an agreement that said, I don't want anything from you. Just leave me the hell alone. But he still manages to make my life <laughs> uh, hell as much as he can through the children. Unfortunately, it's, and it's, it's not funny at all, but it's, um, it's funny that I believed him that he wouldn't. And uh, let go of all that but that's that's just unfortunately actually if anything that proves to me more and more how important it was to leave someone like that yeah absolutely and so i'm assuming though that you're allowed or you're able to still have your kids half half of the time or... yes yes absolutely they're they're most of the time with me and we have joint custody and 
um, they spend most of the week with me and everything, you know, it's, it's okay in that, in that sense. Um, when he tries to hurt me, it's more like, you know, talking badly about me to them. I mean, which was happening either way, but at least from, you know, what I can do is show them that, you know, I stood up for myself and that I'm happy and that I'm building my life from scratch by myself. So I, I know that um, that's better than anything that it ever was before. How do you think all of this has affected your mental health? Um, it's, I mean, it's a, it's a good question because as a mental health professional, I mean, I, I think that um, between that and, and working and which takes a toll on a therapist anyway, just hearing other people's stories and lives that um, a lot of self-care is needed to stay like, you know, <laughs> regulated. But I think in what you've, what I read on your posts, which is, you know, just honestly worth diamonds and gold because a regulate regulated parents or unregulated parents is what you wrote cause you know trauma and children that's the most important thing if if i want any parent to understand it's that line and that's so important because um regulating myself is the most important thing i can do for my kids so all, going through all of that from child to a 36 year old woman um has caused a lot of depression, to be honest, and a lot of ups and downs and a lot of anxiety. Um, I think, you know, anxiety probably more than depression. Because, I mean, my whole life was out of fear. The, in, the entire life cycle has been fear-based. Um, but I, you know, so, so that's a huge part of my life. But then again, you know, if I made the choice to, to, to change all of this for my children, then I have to finish it with regulating myself and making sure that they they know yes i'm human and i have anxiety and i can feel sad sometimes but i can also take care of myself and regulate myself so that i'm not gonna just you know hurt people unconsciously or unintentionally because i'm not figuring out how to regulate myself yeah and how do they deal with spending time just with their father yeah no he actually um he's actually since i've left he's um really stepped up as a father which you know I know that like that could you know make me angry like why couldn't you be like that when I was there but or when we were still together but what matters right now is just that my kids are happy and they even tell me they're like mom dad is just so nice now he does this and that and I'm really happy for them so he's definitely stepped up and he's definitely um way better than he was before so i think he was just really relying on me to be both parents at all times and um and now that i'm not there he has to do something and he's definitely stepped up from a father standpoint um so they're they're okay with it and they they enjoy visiting him and i'm happy for them oh that's that's good isn't it that is yeah. at least he's learned something out of that Absolutely. and and what's your relationship like with your parents now yeah so in the beginning i was I was really, really angry. I think that um, for, for other reasons, my, it just so happened my relationship with my parents at that time was really, um, you know, it wasn't strong at all, but I think it had a lot to do with also me just blaming them for everything that I went through. Um, and, and I understand that that's not healthy, um, you know, but I'm also human and I feel like every time I've reflected and all the, all the hardships that I went through in the last year and a few months, it was a lot. And, you know, I just, in the beginning, I just 
was like, this is all your fault. If only you raised me differently. If only you did this and that. If only you, you know, valued, you know, my, what I believed in, you know, all the, all those thoughts made me really angry. So I had some fallouts with my parents and my father didn't talk to me for like nine or so months and was completely, completely on my own financially and emotionally. Um, so, but I think that that had to happen because right now when I look back, I'm really proud that I didn't, you know, use my parents' money to help me, you know, pay rent or figure out my life. And I was able to, you know, work and support myself and support my children. And I'm really proud of myself. I think that that's a huge confidence booster for me. So I'm kind of glad that it happened. But then, you know, things do heal with time. And I think that they had a lot of time to reflect also. And they, um, although in, in a way it's too late, but I think they do realize that what, what they indirectly did was harmful and that it's not the best way. So do I believe that it was intentional? Absolutely not. I think that they were actually, if anything, thinking that they were the best parents at the time because they believed that these ways were the right way. This is how you protect your daughter. You have her to get married at a young age. This prevents, you know, premarital sex. This prevents uh, this and that. Um, and they were trying to do what's best. Um, I do truly believe that. And I think that I do appreciate, though, that they recognize that there is, you know, a negative aspect of that, which is what my unfortunate series of events has, has proven. So I do appreciate that they recognize that. So our relationship is a lot better now. That's, yeah. that's and do you, ha you have a close relationship with your mom these days? Yes, I, I believe so. I think she's definitely, um, and she's definitely who she is and she's her own person and that's okay. And I think it helps that I accept them for who they are also. So she's just, you know, not as emotional as I am and that's okay. Um, but she's definitely more accepting and um, um, I, yeah, we're definitely closer. We talk quite often and she visits often and it's, it's nicer to have that in yeah. my life. Yeah. So what, what sort of things do you do on a daily or weekly basis to help you with your mindset or, you know, your healing? What, what are the things that you find important? So I, I read a lot of self-help books at all times, like, you know, I, from one to the next, that's really important to me. I think they all, you know, have obviously all like a similar message, but every author says it in their own unique way. And it's, it's really important to have that in my life you know, on a daily basis. If I don't read something, a paragraph even, every day of something positive, it's really easy to go through that like downward word spiral of, you know, why me and, and all that uh, negativity. But I, you know, I, I, I follow only positive Instagram pages, for example. I, uh, I, I you know, I read all these things. I listen to, um, I listen to anything that's, you know, motivational. It's, it's really become the theme of my life. I have quotes all over my house. I, um, it's, it's just about those constant reminders, affirmations. There's, there's just, so, you know, so many things, but I just know that it has to be, as I tell, you know, my clients as well as myself every day, that it has to be a constant conscious effort to choose to be happy and to choose to be positive. It's not something that, you know, might not necessarily come natural to anyone it's just you have to choose to do it yeah which book do you have one book where you you just think it's been a bit life-changing for you uh yeah there's a few um i mean definitely definitely one of my favorites and the one i recommend to almost everyone um is the four agreements book um i think that that's a really popular one 
Don Miguel Ruiz, I think is his name. But there's a lot of self, self-love self books. I think that's even the title that just really are really important because it just always starts with with herself like you know in order to forgive my parents i had to first love myself in order to be a better parent i had to first love myself so that's that's the core and it's not like i've reached it and i'm done i has it has to be worked on on a daily basis so we touched on it before but what would you say is the most important thing that we need to give to our kids i would say there's you know the two most important things which is something that you say all the time is, you know, learning how to regulate our own emotions is the most important and the best thing we can do for our kids because they learn from us what we do. And then the second thing is to allow them to have the freedom of expression. My kids can express themselves and know that it's not going to be judged or made fun of or shut down you know, there's nothing more freeing than that. It's it's just such a beautiful feeling and you can see it in their face when they can be silly and or they can be even annoying or when they can be angry or, or anything and know that they're going to be welcome onto your lap with open arms without being told to, to stop or to be quiet or whatever, or to be wronged. Um, you know, those two things are, I really believe, the most important things to, we can do for our kids. Yeah, I love that. I love that. That's so important. How bright is your future? What's the future um, holding for you? <laughs> I think um, I've been really blessed. Um, I, you know, recently met a wonderful man who I chose for myself, <laughs> which wow. um, is really nice. And um, I think that um, it's just such a, um, the word just like so liberating to know that, you know, I, I was able to, to, you know, even though I'm 36 and I've two children and probably from a cultural standpoint it wouldn't have been believed that I would meet someone but um I I did and he's wonderful and the children my children love him he's just so positive um you know he's my uh, I call him my mini Tony Robbins oh, wow. <laughs> he's, he's just he's just so wonderful and um hopefully we'll you know be married soon and I you know I would love to have more children with him, which would be such an amazing feeling to, I think I wanted to ex- want the experience, even though I didn't necessarily think I wanted to have more kids, but I want to have a kid with a man like that. I think that would be so, such a nice feeling. So that's what I see in my future. And I, um, I love doing, you know, my, my, from a professional standpoint, I love being a therapist. I love doing the coaching that I do. It just, it's so rewarding and it's, I wouldn't, can't see it any other way. Oh, I'm so I'm so happy that you found this awesome guy, and you're gonna you know make another life for yourself, a whole new one. It's so exciting. So tell us about your coaching. So it's the Hannah Effect. So I I mean I do my the from a um, the therapist as my profession, but on the side I do life coaching. I got my certification in transformational life coaching, and I have a really you know really effective program that I've done myself first. Um, and now I do with, um, with people who it's, you know, if you're, you know, feeling stuck or if you're being indecisive about, you know, a a major life change that you have to do, whether it's a relationship or a career or something like that, it's this curriculum is, you know, it's, it's fun to do. And it's just so amazing. You, you know, you learn so much about yourself through it and it just kind of, you just find the answers throughout the program. And it's, um, 
it's an amazing like eight to 10 week program that truly, truly is what it's called, which transforms your life. So um, I, I'm certified in that. I do that with my clients and it's been so rewarding. So where can we find you? Um, on Instagram at the Hannah Effect. Um, I also have a website, thehannaeffect.com. You can send me a message there and then we can connect for virtual sessions. And I send the curriculum weekly. We have our session and we can discuss it. And it's pretty amazing. I love like the, the reflections and seeing everyone, you know, seeing everyone that I work with, you know, find what they're looking for and find the answers. Yeah, absolutely. It must be so wonderful seeing the transformations of people being able to change lives. It's um, it's a wonderful way to spend your life, isn't it? Oh, Hannah, I'm so grateful that you would share this story with us today. It's just heartbreaking and I could feel, oh, it's just this feeling of being closed in a tiny box for so many years, just wanting to break out. And it's just heartbreaking to think that this is what you and many women, I guess, yeah. I'm sure we'll um, we'll have to experience in their lives, but I'm just so happy that you're out. You were strong enough to make this change for yourself and to to just step up and say, I'm not going to have my kids have this same cycle, this same experience. So yeah, and thank you so much for sharing with us today. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for all your kind words. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for being here. Please check the show notes for all the links related to this podcast, including book recommendations. If you have a story to share, questions about this episode, or want to connect in any way, I would love to chat. Please come and find me on Instagram at mybigloveproject. And please don't forget to subscribe, rate and review. Can you think of one person whose life might change a tiny bit in a positive way by hearing this episode? Please go ahead and share it with someone you know needs to hear it. These stories are so important. You are such an incredible soul because you are you. You are unique. Your journey is unique and you can absolutely change the world with your story. Your time is precious and I so appreciate you being here. Thank you for joining me. I'll catch you next week. Acast anbefaler. Mit navn er Anders Morgenthaler. Over for mig sidder Roald Bergmann. Vi har lavet en ny podcast, der hedder Dopaminklubben. Og Dopaminklubben er en klub, hvor ADHD er fucking sjovt, og hvor det griner. Det behøver ikke at være super alvorligt. Vi skider skrætter alle de der podcast og forklarer mig nederen der. Vi gør grin med vores ADHD. Mulig ADHD. Ja, vi udreder mig, fordi nogen siger, at jeg har det. Jeg ved det ikke rigtigt, det finder vi ud af. Vi har i hvert fald lavet vedmål. Ind og lyt til Dopaminklubben. Hver uge udkommer vi. Der laver vi sjov og spas med at have den her vidunderlige dopaminmangel.